Hello, and welcome to Chad's ADHD 365 podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Takeda, better health, brighter future. Hello, and welcome to ADHD 365. My name is Trish White. I'm the director of training at Chad, and I'll be your host today. Today, we will talk about when adults who have ADHD retire. Retirement and estate planning can be challenging for adults with ADHD. They may have trouble sorting through the many options available and establishing new routines. I'm pleased to welcome our expert, Rick Webster, who will share his expertise on how individuals with ADHD can plan for retirement, set up new structures and routines, keep healthy habits, get professional and peer support, and understand how to approach estate planning effectively. Mr. Webster is the founder and CEO of Renify, an online training provider that gives ways for people with ADHD to organize and manage their wealth building journey. Welcome, Mr. Webster. I'm so pleased to speak with you about this important topic. My first question for you is, in your experience, how do people with ADHD approach retirement planning? I think you'd have to ask the question a little bit differently because the fact is, I think people with ADHD don't approach retirement planning. They live in denial. They, they just think everything will take care of itself or they're panicky and they don't know what to do about it. So I would say that is the biggest problem is that people don't approach it. We ADHD, it, it's, a, it's a, one of the executive functions are time distortions. And if something is either now or not now, and if it's not now, it's pretty much irrelevant. And so we don't plan for the future, which is a big problem. We severely discount the future. Next piece of suggestion I would put in is if people have waited too late, this won't work. But earlier, you really want to switch from being income-based, earned income-based personal economy to an asset-based personal economy. It's crucial. Theoretically, when you're 20 years old, you go out, you serve coffee, they pay you a certain amount of money for your time. When you're 65 and you want to retire, You don't want to put that time in, but you need to have money to pay your bills with. That's one fundamental reason. The bigger reason is your life will be better. You want to, as the course of your life goes on, move from an earned income-based economy to an asset-based. And the sooner you do it, the better. Do it at 20 years old if you can. But the fact is, people don't. They just keep earning the money, not saving enough. And that savings is asset, right? When you save money, it becomes an asset that asset begins to produce an income for you. And eventually at some point, hopefully those assets will earn all the money that you need to live on and completely replace your earned income. Some individuals experience frequent job changes or jobs that don't offer retirement plans. How can they plan for retirement? Absolutely. In the old days, 70 years ago, people would go to work a pension would be set aside by the employer and they would work there until they got their gold watch, right? So that was a pension and very few companies and and jobs are like that anymore. We really have to begin taking responsibility for our own retirement. I wouldn't expect a company to do that. And there's still places, teachers unions, things like that, but a lot of people work, especially with ADHD, we work in the gig economy, we're self-employed, or we're in business for ourselves, which are polar opposites, by the way, but they have, there's some commonalities to it. No one's setting that money aside. They're not even doing tax withholding for us. We have to do all those things. We have to become the adults in the room and do those things ourselves. 
if we don't have an employer to do it. Doesn't mean we can't hire someone to do some of those things. I would say, echoing the, the last answer, the last solution, make sure that you're living on a significantly smaller percentage of your money than you're earning and that you're taking that money that you're not spending to live on and setting it aside and building up an asset base for yourself. You want to set up an emergency fund of a thousand bucks. That should be, everybody needs to do that immediately. Set up three to six months worth of reserves for income replacement in case your, your income gets interrupted. And that's invested in a very conservative, but it's going to pay you something. And then the next phase, you'll be beginning to build up assets that you can actually invest. And I would put them in a non-volatile growth type account, depending on your age. And then the next phase, phase four, would be money that you can actually, what I would call truly invest. And that's where people begin to really get ahead. But that's a triage, right? Emergency fund, reserves for replacement. First phase of investing, which is very conservative and securities-based. And fourth phase, which is buying art and cars and real estate, you know, the investment type stuff, depending on what you know. And that's really tried and true since the beginning of time. Invest in what you know. Don't invest in what you don't know. Just because something sounds great, that someone says it's great, if you're not familiar with it, that's not where you want to be investing your money. In, in phase four, if, you're, if you understand high tech, maybe you invest in it. If you don't understand high tech, stay away from it because you do not know what you're doing and you will lose out to people who do know what they're doing. Are there professionals that someone can go to for help on some of the things that you're suggesting? Yes, absolutely. And what sorts of professionals are there? Yeah. First of all, there are fund managers. There are people who will manage your money. So what I would suggest is what a financial advisor planner can do, a robo-advisor can do cheaper and do the same thing, but what they can do is advise you on what sectors to be in, what risk levels to be in, how to be diversified, which is, those are all really important things. So my suggestion is don't spend a lot of money on those kind of things. A robo-advisor from any brokerage can help you just as well. You fill in all the boxes. I'm 65 years old. I'm retiring in five years. I've got X number of dollars. I have, I own my own home or I don't have this much equity. You fill in all the boxes, you click a button and it will give you a whole plan, just as good as any human. Thank you for those suggestions. So. During the estate planning process, do you think that a spouse or partner should be involved in the process or your children or those people that are involved that potentially would inherit or be part of dealing with the consequences upon your death? Should they be involved during the estate planning process? And how do you navigate those very challenging discussions? Yeah, uh, first of all, absolutely. I would call them stakeholders, right? They all have an interest in how this is all going to play out. I would have those conversations frequently and small conversations. If you wait too long, you got to say, okay, everybody here, everybody's going to meet at my place. We're going to be at the dining room table. It's all a surprise to everybody. And you're going to have a huge bunch of differing opinions and everything. But if you just bring it up to your kids on a regular basis, hey, this is happening. I'm thinking about that. You want to make your own decisions but you absolutely want to include every stakeholder. They might have a really good reason for not wanting to inherit the money from you. They might have a very good financial reason for not wanting that. I actually know one case where that actually happened. The person had a huge judgment against them. If they had inherited the money, it would have gone away instantly against the judgment. So yes, you want to bring all the stakeholders in for the conversation. You're not advocating your own role, though. This is your estate. You're deciding what to do with it. 
looking just for input and to make sure somebody doesn't have some legitimate objection that you don't know about. Now, if there's some sort of conflict during that process, are there any people that they can go to for help when it becomes a little bit stressful and negotiations need to be made beforehand when they're planning? Give me an example of a conflict. So for example, if someone is designated, say there are siblings in the family and one is getting the house and the other one is getting money and they have a dispute and they say that's not fair. So there's some sort of family dispute or disagreement and that person the individual with ADHD who's doing their estate planning is not sure where to go or what to do or how to handle it. Is there anyone that they can go to for advice or help to negotiate that? Yeah, first of all, I would say, and this may sound harsh at first, but I'll qualify it. This is your decision. This is not about fairness. You may have three kids and you've decided that one of them should inherit everything and the other two, you don't want to give them anything. That's your decision to make, right? Whether they think it's fair or not, it's your estate. It's your decision to make that. Now, clearly, to qualify that, I do believe we we want to be fair with our kids, and presumably, they all should get a third. My own take, and this is what happened in my own family with my parents, everything was turned into dollars. Dollars are fungible. dollar here is the same as a dollar over there. A dollar of equity in a home is not necessarily the same as a dollar in cash to someone by any means. You can turn everything into cash. You can say, well, upon my death, Everybody inherits the house, and so it's in charge of getting it sold. You can talk to a broker and getting all that done, and they may get a little payment for that. But you can turn everything into cash. And then the kids can say, you know what? Gosh, the house is worth $1.2 million and I want it. So one kid that wants it can buy the one-third shares from each of their siblings for a dollar amount. And then there's no question of fairness. Either sell the house or the kid that wants it can buy the house. But yeah, you don't want to set your kids up for a big squabble. Right? You really want to identify where everything is going. And the cleanest way to do that is to turn it all into dollars. And would you suggest that an estate planner would be somebody that someone could go to to navigate that? Yeah, absolutely. These people do that all the time and they're used to these kind of conversations. The key is you want to make sure that's all nailed down before you pass away, not after, because that's when these families, I've seen families practically disintegrate over these kind of things. So make sure it's all established up front. And realize, you know, don't get too enmeshed. It's your decision, not theirs. Thank you. We're going to change gears to talking about life after work. So what are some of the experiences, challenges, behaviors, and issues adults with ADHD experience when they're no longer working and their days are unstructured? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is this being untethered from what was giving their life meaning and purpose. A lot of people have a career that they've been in for quite some time, they're trained and they they value it, it's providing value to the world, they get validation from that, you know, they're a high school teacher and they see how well all their students are doing. So there's a lot of value that people feel and then when they retire, they almost sometimes feel useless. And I think it's very important to replace the job with something else. And that could be volunteering for Chad, as a matter of fact, it could be any of these different types of things, but we really don't want to find ourselves just sitting at the breakfast table watching TV thinking, well, I'm just sitting here waiting to die. We want to have some meaning and people have a lifetime skills and wisdom and things that they can bring to the table. And I think it's really tragic that so often that just all stops when they retire. 
They have a lot to offer. If you're a business person, you could go volunteer with the SBA, the Small Business Administration. There's all kinds of places where you can bring value to the table. Some of those are volunteer. Other things, gig worker, you can become a consultant in your field and get paid for it. And gig work is a real thing these days. It's a challenge for the economy. It's a challenge for individuals. But if you're retiring, it might just be a way for you to bring in a little extra money and feel valuable at the same time. That's great advice. Thank you. In your experience, have you noticed that widows, men, or women experiences challenges when they retire? Or is it something that happens across the board for all those with ADHD? I think this may be changing. My first thought is money problems usually fall to women. They seem to have more of those because their husband's been earning the money maybe. And again, I'm going to qualify this because life is changing. But maybe the husband was earning most of the money. They had a smaller paycheck. And now he's passed away, maybe a little earlier. And so now they didn't even pay much attention to it. Now they don't know how to run the ship, so to speak. So they don't actually know what's happening with the finances. And unfortunately, a lot of times in a relationship, one person or the other hasn't actually been saying the whole thing, right? They haven't been saying what's going on. And it may be that there are problems that don't show up until one partner passes away, which is really a problem. But I see money problems more with women. And I see emotional problems more with men. And it makes sense because the men, in historic terms, have gotten their meaning and purpose out of that job. Whereas women are more social, they have more, more social, better social network. I believe that's changing. I think that somewhere around the, the 70s, women began entering the workforce in droves in professional fields. Right? They were no longer just waitresses at some restaurant just to earn a little extra money. Now they're doctors and lawyers and all kinds of things. So I believe that now both the money and the emotion is going to be more evenly spread. If someone's been in the workforce and and they have not nurtured their social relationships, it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, you're going to feel isolated when you retire and you no longer have that community. So that's kind of my answer. I think it's changing. It's still women deal more with the money problems and more with the emotional problems of now I feel useless. You mentioned before that those that retire could do some volunteer work or perhaps do some, take on some gigs, which is great advice. Do you have any other suggestions on ways that individuals with ADHD can create structure and routine in their day? Structure and routine is incredibly important. I'm actually teaching a class on that in about an hour and a half. (laughs) So it's crucial. If we don't have structure, Whatever you're trying to build is built on sand. So we need to create routines for ourselves. A routine is, think of a cascade of dominoes. You can run that cascade over and over again without a lot of thought, and it just happens. You get up in the morning, you have breakfast, you brush your teeth, you go exercise. Maybe that's your morning routine. If you do the same thing over and over again, you will be functional, and you can move into the next routine. And of course, we have to create these as we retire. That used to be our routine was we get up and go to work and do all those things. Then we have to create a new routine for that time that has value to us. But structure and within structure is are the routines. Um, we can run those playbooks. It's, it's crucial. If we don't create that for ourselves, then we end up not feeling valued, not getting things done, neglecting our health, neglecting our relationships. And it's not hard to create these routines. And some certain strategies, I have a friend who I go to coffee with and she introduced me to this idea, but every time we're done having coffee or near the end of it, 
we both pull out of our phones and we book our next appointment for the next about 30 days later. And so we meet and we may change it, but at least it's on the calendar. We can't go six months without getting together for something. So we want to establish those kind of systems and routines so that our life doesn't just dwindle down to the next impulsive thought we have. That's great advice. Thank you. That actually ties into my next question, which is about socializing. Often people with ADHD have challenges with that. And when they retire, they lose the workplace as an option for connecting with others. We've all heard how important social connection is to mental health. So can you give some examples of places retirees can go to socialize? Absolutely. First, I wouldn't write off virtual, right? It's a new world. I have friends that I've met now that I will probably never meet in person. Somebody is a really good friend of mine in Denver. I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. There's somebody in Australia that I talk to on a regular basis. So we can make very real connections emotionally and every other way, practically, virtually. So especially if you've got health problems and have a hard time getting out, or if you've got family to take care of, something like that, we can socialize very well with Zoom and certain ways to do that. It takes energy and we have to put it out there in order to keep our, there's entropy, right? Any complex system will devolve unless we maintain it, anything. You You can think of your house, it was nice and clean when you moved in, now it's cluttered. It's because we're not maintaining the system. If you maintained it by cleaning up for 15 minutes every Saturday, it probably wouldn't have the clutter. So our social relationships are very similar. We have to put out the energy it takes to maintain them, to say, hey, I haven't talked to you for three weeks. How'd you like to go have coffee? We have to do those things. When I was first diagnosed with ADHD 25, 27 years ago, I didn't want to be isolated, but I realized that a lot of the relationships I had were toxic to me. And I think that's a common experience. When I decided I'm coming out from behind the, the curtain here, I'm going to be who I really am. A lot of the relationships I had, they wanted to keep me the way I used to be because that's what they liked. And I was determined to be something different, to be who I actually was. So in that, I did have to let some relationships go, which might be the equivalent of retiring. But I joined a couple of meetup groups. I said, what do I like to do? I like to hike. I like to bike ride. So I joined groups that did that, fairly large groups. I went out, I participated. And if you're on a hike with 50 people, there's going to be certain chemistry between some of you and and that. So I met friends that way. And I replaced the relationships that I had let go because they were a little bit toxic. So if you're retiring, you're going to have to put some energy into replacing those relationships or moving them into another venue. It doesn't, someone who you worked with for 30 years, you can say, hey, I'm retiring. Looks like you're going to retire in a few years too. Why don't we start doing something else, right? Let's go swimming every Saturday or something. I really like meetup groups and the platform meetup isn't the, the thing. There's tons of those. You go find your own platform that works for you. But joining another group. What we don't want to be is isolated. It's like, I don't know, <laughs> be silly. If you find yourself single again, are you just going to stay home? I mean, you want another relationship? Or are you just going to stay home? A lot of us, when we went to a, a university or a college, we're in a kind of a target-rich environment, right? There's 20,000 other people roughly our age, and we can pick and choose from that, and other people pick and choose, and hopefully we find somebody. We have to do that same playbook over again. We have to put ourselves in a target-rich environment and figure out who we have chemistry with and do the work it takes to build new relationships. And assuming that we have all of our faculties, we're going to be a lot better at it than we were when we were in college. We can make better choices. So that brings me to my next question, which is how 
does an individual with ADHD get motivated in order to plan for socializing or meal planning or exercising or any of these things? Not a psychologist or psychiatrist. I, I do have a psychology background, but again, a little bit out of my lane. I think motivation is almost always there for these things. It's primal. We are social creatures. It's almost always there. But what happens is there are layers of anxiety and depression and other things that layer on top of it that interfere with our motivation. Yes, I'd like to go out and meet a new friend today, but I'm rejection sensitive. I don't think anybody's going to like me. Or I'd like to make a new friend today, but I'm afraid to go out and talk to people. And for whatever reason, don't, maybe I don't think I'm worth it. Maybe I'm depressed and I don't think I'm worth it. Why would anybody like me? So I do think motivation is typically there for us, but it gets buried under layers of other more psychiatric issues and such. I would start slow and I would also try to keep expectations at bay. If you go out to meet people in a mercenary way, so I've got to meet somebody at this networking event tonight, I've got to meet somebody, that that doesn't show up very well. It shows up as desperation and it's even harder to meet people. If you just go out to have a good time, you will find the people that you have chemistry with. You'll recognize them in a dark room. If you go out as an authentic person and you're in a group of other authentic people, you'll recognize the people that you're connected to that you have chemistry with. But again, it does take the energy to get out there and, and do it. And I don't, you know, motivation is part of it, but I do think the motivation is typically there for us. It's just mired down in all kinds of other baggage, like anxiety and depression. Well, thank you. That was great. Do you have anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Well, and I'm thinking about this, as you mentioned, motivation. I think, I know, it's really crucial to stay active. Our body is a machine. It's a mechanical machine. No matter what you believe beyond that, it is a mechanical machine. And if we don't take care of it, it will degrade. If you want to be active in your later years, you need to get out there and get some exercise. And you pick the one you want, right? Some, some people like to swim. Some people like to walk. But you pick something and get out there and do it can also be a very social behavior if you get out there with other people. There's an idea in, it has to do with motivation, is, it sounds counterintuitive for ADHD people who frequently don't finish what they start, but the idea is quit before you're done. So for example, if you've been sedentary for three or five or 20 years, you wanna to go to the gym, don't go to the gym and work out for three hours and practically kill yourself and feel horrible because you won't wanna go back. Self-discipline might get you there for six weeks, but you will quit, there's no doubt about it. Go to the gym for five minutes. Takes you 20 minutes to get there. You leave after five. You say, oh my gosh, I, that felt good, but it wasn't enough. I want to go back. Now you want to go back and do more and more and more. Slowly ramp up your exercise. Don't do it all at once. First of all, if you do it all at once, you might hurt yourself. But the real reason is you'll quit. And there's all kinds of exercise classes at the local gym, at the local retirement community, where you will meet other people. And by the way, you don't have to live in the retirement community. Most of these have instructors that come in and you just pay a small fee. A small fee. And so I and actually I think that these retirement communities, first of all, it's a great place to go if you can afford it and it's working for you. I, I wouldn't break the bank to, to do it. Most of them, the people in them are funding these things through their homeowners association dues. But usually you can pay a fee and it's usually not a whole lot of money to join in. And then you'll be right in an environment with other like-minded people. Exercise card playing, travel, leisure, you name it. Some of these communities have got, they're, they're like a small city. They've got everything. 
Where can people who are listening today find more information about you and get in contact with you? Renify.com, and that's R-E-N-A-F-I.com. And basically, we teach people all the things that we've just been talking about and more. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate all that you've shared with us. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure all of our listeners have too. Thank you. This podcast was sponsored by Takeda. Better health, brighter future. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chad's ADHD 365 podcast.